Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at thehuddle.com with your host, Steve Gallo and Harley Schultz. back to the Blitz Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gallo. And on this hot, humid August evening, I'm joined by my man, Harley Schultz. Harley, how's it going? Well, it's quite swampy here in Minnesota this week. And I feel like that swampiness has kind of got me down a little bit. But there's more good things to look forward to, like the fact that my first uh, longtime redraft league is going to be drafting in just over two weeks. Yeah, I've got drafts out the wazoo. I don't know if anybody has a true definition of what a wazoo is, but we'll leave that to the imagination. Um, I've got a flex league draft coming up. I've got a huddle expert IDP draft I'm in right now. I've got a huddle auction draft with a bunch of different experts from different sites. I've got a huddle expert 12. It's called draft coming up. I've got like four or five drafts that are all coming up. Um, The one I'm most excited about is probably the flex draft because it's best ball draft and forget about it. Well, the one I'm most excited about is uh, setting some lineups for DraftKings this weekend because we have a, a little bit more of a full slate. It's not just one game. I think they call that degenerate weekend. Exactly. So, anyway, um, I think last week was a success. Look, look who you're talking to. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> uh, it takes one to know one, I guess, right? Exactly. That's what we should have. We, you know, we, maybe we'll change our segment name. For, for DFS to D-gen sec, the, to the D-Gen section or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, anyone that actually put money down on that first game, oh, that, I mean, that, that game was just a, a, an atrocious train wreck. Neither team's offense did much of anything with the, uh, the scrubstitutes playing most of the game. So I like that. We, we kind of expected that. <laughs> scrubstitutes. I like that. That's a good one. We saw a little bit of uh, Tony Pollard. Uh, we saw, um, I can't think of his name, uh, Deontay Johnson caught a couple passes. Well, and you saw why you don't see anybody, right, in a sense. Exactly. Chase, Chase Claypool had the scare. That's why you don't see these big names. I read today, Saquon Barkley may see some time in a preseason game. No, he's not. He will not play <laughs> one snap this preseason. Set the over-under at one, and I think I take the under for snaps. Well, yeah, and it, it doesn't matter if, the, if there's people actually playing in games or just minor injuries around camp, too. Uh, Minnesota got a huge scare over the weekend when Justin Jefferson uh, landed hard on his shoulder. Uh, he suffered a sprained AC joint. And, of course, I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling through here, and I see Justin Jefferson AC come up on my Twitter feed. Dot, dot. To it. I'm a little concerned, but then, yeah, it's like I click on it, and sure enough, it expands out AC joint, not ACL. Obviously, a much uh, lesser injury. But, I mean, for a receiver, particularly a receiver that likes to use his body to box out, it's still important to have a good, strong shoulder. So this is really funny, but it may not be funny, and I probably should have stopped the recording and, and said, hey, let's do this over. But the recording gods didn't even want to hear you say possibly ACL, I guess, because when you said AC... Your sound went out for about two and a half seconds. Interesting. 
Kind of funny, actually. The karma gods, I guess. I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what. I, there's got to be a ton of stuff at this point that we can hear in the news. So I'm going to throw it over to Harley for this week's Blitz Podcast News. Thank you, Steve. After dealing with minor injuries earlier in camp, Deshaun Watson finally returned to practice today for Houston. Watson's status to travel with the team to Green Bay for this Saturday's exhibition opener is up in the air. Just to be safe in preparation for Watson's potential arrival, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers has ordered all massage parlors in his state to close for the weekend. (laughs) New York Giants running back Saquon Barkley was officially activated off of the pup list today, allowing him to begin practicing with the team. Barkley will continue to work himself back into game shape with the hope of playing week one against Denver nearly one full year following his ACL tear. Barkley's return to the field will certainly improve his fantasy outlook for the season. Unfortunately for his fantasy outlook, he still has to deal with the quarterback play of Daniel Jones. (laughs) Tampa Bay coach Bruce Arians stated that all of his starters would play in the exhibition opener against Cincinnati. This includes veteran quarterback Tom Brady. I'll be watching closely to see if Brady is allowed to attempt a pass in this game, seeing as how his last pass attempt nearly left the Lombardi Trophy floating in the murky waters of Tampa Bay. (laughs) Saints kicker Will Lutz will miss two to three months following surgery for an oblique injury. In Lutz's absence, we can neither confirm nor deny if Sean Payton will trot out Taysom Hill in kicking situations. Either way, consider this your annual reminder to just drop freaking kickers from your fantasy league. (laughs) And finally, also out of New Orleans, it has been reported that Michael Thomas ignored a series of phone calls from his team's medical staff this offseason in regards to his ankle injury recovery. We tried to reach out to Thomas, but all we received back was a text message saying, new phone. Who dat? <laughs> this has been your BPN News Update. All right, that's not bad. So, you know, I don't know. I'm sure somebody's done this already, but when you were talking there, this is just something that just finally came, just popped in my head, but Barkley on the pup. Barkley off the pup. Woof, woof. Bark, bark, <laughs> pup. But you know what? Saquon, Saquon Barkley coming back playing a full full schedule is going to really wag the tail for quite a few fantasy owners that draft him late in the first round. Yeah, and considering where uh, we ranked him last week on our running back rankings, and considering that uh, as long ago as just over a year ago, he was basically kind of that one, two, three range alongside guys like Christian McCaffrey among guys who you might take at that spot. If he continues to slip to that point where you can get him around pick uh, pick eleven, pick twelve, right around the swing of the first round, it's excellent news that he may play the full season. And again, obviously. Injuries, you never know. (laughs) True. Very true. Um, But anyway, you know, you touched on a guy that I have some notes down. For anybody that's new listening, old hats that you guys will understand already, Harley and I don't really discuss what we're going to talk about. We might talk, touch on, hey, let's do this topic or that topic, but we don't talk in advance of, 
you're going to say this and I'm going to say that. We truly have a conversation not knowing what the other one's going to say. And if we do know it, it's just because we've been doing this for so long that we know each other pretty well. Um, so what I have a question for you, Harley, is let's talk about Michael Thomas, and then we'll, we'll hit on a quarterback, a running back, and a tight end just so that we can say that we covered all the positions. But where does Michael Thomas get drafted in redrafts this year? It's really tough with Michael Thomas because much like Saquon, if you look back just two years ago, Michael Thomas was being taken as either the wide receiver number one overall or the wide receiver number two overall at worst. Now, after last season and the combination of his play with Taysom Hill at quarterback, along with the injuries that he had last season and how he kind of like looked like he was going to show up and just kept dragging and dragging and dragging, I had the unfortunate uh, factor going against me in one of my redraft leagues last year where I had the swing pick, and, and lo and behold, Michael Thomas fell to me. So I was super excited to get Michael Thomas at 112, and I followed it up with, at, at 201 with George Kittle. Now, of course, by week three, I was just absolutely like gagging over the toilet over that. Yeah. So long story short, when, when you're looking at a guy like Thomas, who his injury just, I mean, last year really, really rubbed me the wrong way. I can't personally see taking him as a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two which means that he's going to be going, at least if I'm looking at taking him, I'm going to be taking him after wide receiver 24 overall. So maybe in that wide receiver 26 to wide receiver 30 range. So if you're taking him, you're taking him as a wide receiver three, and then you still have to invest high equity uh, in, in your next wide receiver just so you've got three to play in case Thomas doesn't play at all this year. So I'm in a draft right now. Um, it's an IDP draft, and we are in. So that's going to skew the rounds, right? So we'll just look at overall within the position. Um, but I started with, if my computer will act nice, which it's not. It's going very slow here. Um, so hold on one second while I do this real quick. So evidently, I can't say computer because I have my Alexa set up to answer to a to computer, and she's talking in the background. And I don't know if the mic picked it up or not, but that's what happened. So it threw me off my Well, game. you know what? Alexa will definitely uh, come into play. And at, once you get into the season, obviously, if you need additional help, you can always ask Alexa for help. I don't know if she'll be of any assistance or not, though. Yeah, right. So anyway, I'm in the 111 spot is where I start my draft. And the first wide receiver I took was in the third round. I went two. I took, I took wide receivers at 311 and 4-2. Right in front of me was the first snipe of the draft. I wanted Terry McLaurin. I had him all queued up. He went 310. So I settled on CeeDee Lamb as my first wide receiver. Not thrilled about that, quite honestly. But I like his upside. Then on the swing pick coming back after the 12 pick took his two guys, I wound up with Robert Woods as my wide receiver too. And then in round seven, the end of round seven, seven eleven, I took Odo Beckham. Coming back a couple rounds later, round ten, pick two, I took Michael Thomas as wide receiver thirty-three. It feels a little early for me, right? But exactly. But there's two things at play here. I don't have the strongest wide receiver core, right? And yes. if he comes back mid to late season. It's a boon to my team. 
The other kicker for me, and this is where you have to know your league rules, I can put him on IR. So he's not going to hurt my, my roster construction. It's just going to cost me a 10th round pick. That's why I well, thought allow, he was worth the risk at that point. Allow me to get on my soapbox really quickly, too, to all the league commissioners out there. If your league doesn't have IR slots, get that rule changed. Institute them. It's really unfair for a team to be crippled as far as their roster depth goes just because one of their players or two of their players gets hurt, particularly in a COVID environment such as we've lived in yes. for the last year and a half. Yes. Not having an IR eligible slot, at least two or three, is just it's completely undermining the true meaning of fantasy football and being being able to enjoy your team during the season. And for those wondering who I bypassed to get those wide receivers, I went running back, running back. I started off with Saquon at 111 and Joe Mixon at 2-2. Uh, you've got a lot of risk-reward there in those picks, I would say, between Saquon, who we've already talked a little bit about, and Michael Thomas, but also Odell Beckham, too, who's uh, who could blow up and become the Odell Beckham yep. of lore, or he could be the Odell Beckham we've seen the last two, three years. I just, I'll be honest with you. I don't think, I think his floor is that wide receiver three range. So to me, it's all upside. Um, I don't, and, and that's the nice thing. That's if you've got that sort of floor with your wide receiver three already, that's when it's nice to be able to have Michael Thomas as your wide receiver four, because if one of your top three guys like he says, underperforms. If one of your wrists underperforms earlier, then there's always the chance that one of those guys in that wide receiver four, wide receiver five category might have the risk level production above the above their draw point to make up for that difference. Yep. So, you know what? Let's talk about, let's go to the running back position. Saquon Barkley. I, I'm taking him every day and twice on on Tuesdays that late in the first round. Um, where do you draft Saquon? I should say, well, I th- it was probably much different where you drafted him before today versus yesterday. Exactly. Uh, be- before he got off the pup list, I mean, there was a lot of talking even just last week that he could miss the entire month of September before he'd be fully ready to go. Now, the fact that he's been activated off the pup list prior to the season, that means that he is eligible to play come week one rather than being put on the pup list in season where you'd have to miss, I believe it's six weeks uh, for those rules. Uh, I know they've changed a little bit in the last couple of years. But uh, basically, with Saquon, he was being drafted, like you said, right around the swing pick in the first round, around 111, 112, maybe two, maybe even 201. Yeah, he was slipping uh, into the super, second. He was slipping into the second for some people. If your league is super flex, it's very likely he might even be there at like 204 or 205. Now with the news from today... I think you, he starts to climb his way a little bit back up there. And in one quarterback leagues, I think he suddenly now becomes a 106 range player. And in two quarterback leagues, I think he's, he maybe moves up like three or four spots to that. Again, he's now in that swing territory, maybe 110, 111, again, in a super flex or two quarterback league situation. Yep, understood. Um, I think that you draft the talent look. How many running backs normally play a full 16 games? Not many. Exactly. So Not many. I had no problem if he was going to sit two weeks, even you know, be back for week three. Even if he sat three weeks, that, that might make me go, I don't know. No, I'm taking that upside. I, I just, I am. Well, now, for our listeners, uh, 
uh, can you enlighten the uh, listeners as to who the Giants' backup is this year? I know last year they used Wayne Gallman in that role. He actually took off and did fairly well. Got himself a bit of a contract to go play in San Francisco, um, which means they're going to have a new a new understudy for Saquon this time. I, you know, I thought it wasn't it you or David that signed a, a contract to be the backup there. I think. Well, I was going to say, uh, I, I look like Brandon Jacobs after he retired, so I don't know if I have a chance to be their backup or not. Just as much as anybody else seeing the field behind him, honestly. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know, I, I'm like Brandon Jacobs with Troy Williamson's hands, though, so I don't <laughs> have much of a chance. There you go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about that. Todd Gurley's knees. Todd Gurley's, yeah, Todd there Gurley's you go. knees. <laughs> um, so... I wonder if everybody's going, oh, wait a minute, who is his backup? Who is his backup? Oh, my God, who's his backup? Um, his backup is ready for a drum roll here. It is Devontae Booker. Interesting. He, he's kind of post-type a little bit. He's always been a guy that people kind of liked, and he never really got a full chance, be it in Denver or in uh, Oakland. So, And he's three strikes, he's out. Sorry, he's not going to get a good chance here either. <laughs> just but if you, if you do need that if you do need that handcuff and i think that saquon being I, you hate to say injury prone because his injuries have been major they haven't been like soft tissue or anything like that uh, <laughs> yeah you, you, you kind of have to think about that nah, and again nah. the giants made wade wayne gallman useful last year yes. who would have thought that that is true you're right um yeah i was not in on gallman at all no um, one was. No, hey, no one was. But he probably won a few leagues last year. That's very possible. Hey, listen, you said three strikes. So that makes me want to talk about this player who doesn't have three strikes. But he's in the batter's box. No balls, two strikes, and he keeps fouling stuff off. When do you draft Deshaun Watson? Or do we see Well, him? I think he's got like 23 strikes right now, doesn't he? Eh, well, yeah. <laughs> he struck out three straight oh, times. Right. He's up to bat again with the bases loaded, and he's not going to get a hit from the sounds of it. Um, yeah, enough of I, the I feel stuff. really like I'm torn on Deshaun Watson here. As a dynasty owner of Deshaun Watson in multiple leagues, including several super flex leagues and empire leagues, I'm just kind of I'm stuck with him because I, I can't trade him right now, obviously, because I don't want to accept – uh, I don't want to sell low on him, certainly. Right. But again, we've seen individuals like Ben Roethlisberger and Zeke Elliott and others who have faced league suspensions and who have come back for things that, in a lot of cases, may even have more proof of, or it may even be considered worse than the behavior that Watson's being accused of. So, at, at very worst... I think you, you aren't taking Deshaun Watson thinking he's going to play for you this year. So if, if you're in a startup league or an empire league or a dynasty league, obviously I don't, I don't change Deshaun's value. I'm still taking him roughly quarterback number five, quarterback number six overall. But in, in a redraft format where you're, you're counting only on this season, he's got to go outside of the top 12 and, and realistically outside of the top 15 or 16 you're taking him, much like Michael Thomas, as a guy who's going to back up a player that you might have high upside for, but there's still some question marks around. So again, maybe round 12, round 13, after guys like Matthew Stafford, after guys like Ryan Tannehill, guys who you'll start, but you, you don't love starting. 
but you'll start him. But you've got that that Watson wild card sitting on your bench that, let's say he gets a six-game suspension. By week eight, he can come back out there and start playing again and be, be a big factor down the stretch possibly for you. So the biggest difference between he and Michael Thomas is that there should be a rule, and if not, a lot of the leagues are like this that have IR, where if a player is suspended, they can't go on IR because they're not injured. So that would and, change and again, that it'll dynamic. It'll be interesting to know that for your league's rules. I know ESPN in the past has allowed suspended players to be put on IR. Uh, I'm not going to go on my soapbox about this because I, I tend to agree with you there, Steve. I, I think that a suspended player, you're drafting them knowing that risk. You're not, I mean, it's not like a, a player who's hurt or was yep. hurt in season that you couldn't have possibly predicted. I mean, again, like a guy like Thomas, again, a lot of leagues, and this is a format rule I like to have for IR things, you can't pick up someone to put them on the IR. It's like in season, you, you can't like go hunt and peck for a guy who's hurt. And so if you pick him up, pick you got to play him. Yeah, exactly. If you pick him up, you're going you're gonna to have to have him in your roster. So going into a draft and taking a player that's hurt, I, I think that you're kind of assu- assuming that risk already because they are already hurt. But at the same time, I, I can see leniency there. But again, it's like if your rules allow it uh, to put your suspended player on IR, then go ahead and do it. it but again, maybe maybe tax your league. That's a rule that shouldn't be in place. So here's a rule that we had. It was in the Dynasty League. Um, and then we'll move on. So we had blind bid waivers, right? For years, mm-hmm. we blind bid waivers. And then it stinks when you process your waivers on Wednesday or Thursday, right? And somebody gets hurt Friday in practice. And all of a sudden, they're ruled out for Sunday. And now you don't have somebody to play. You would have picked somebody up, right? So yes. what we went to was we kept blind bid. But then we – and if you went blind bid and you acquired a guy and he was injured, you could put him on your IR, okay? Mm-hmm. But after blind bid, we had first come, first serve all the way up through game times, okay? The key was it was a flat fee – that you had to pay, so $5. We got $100 per year, right? $5. They could only get a one-year contract, so you could give them a multi-year contract, and they had to be in your starting lineup. So that's a good way to look at it. I, I agree. If you're going to pick someone up on first-come, first-serve, uh, a key thing with that is that uh, uh, if, you, if you're going to have some sort of first-come, first-serve after a waiver bid uh, period, that player should be required to start for you. Uh, that way you're not just uh, stealing someone that yep. your opponent might be able to play if and they needed someone. And you're going to sit on because you're playing the guy and he needs a running back and you don't ha- you're not going to start that guy and, and you pick him up because of that. And yeah, no, it stops that from happening. So if you want to do it, you can, but you got to start him. I will say this, though, uh, in regard to first-come, first-serve uh, waivers, following a, a, a free agent bidding waiver format, that was actually the cause of me leaving a league a couple of years ago. Uh, one of our commissioners had the ability or had the, had, had the wherewithal to set up something so that he was able to get into myfantasyleague.com faster than everyone else be, using his commissioner access. So he could line up all the first-come players he wanted immediately following that to pick them all up before anyone else had a chance to. 
it, it was it was clearly obvious to us when this had happened because he was getting like the the top two or three names available, uh, and he like have like ad release, ad release, ad release, and he'd have them all within like two and a half seconds. When most of us it would take us at least one second to open the app, one second to uh, scroll to the page that you can add drop players, at least two or three seconds to find the player on the list, and another second or so to process the thing. So he was. So, he, so he was. So he was using blind bid, knowing who was going to win what. And then pre-populating it so that he could just hit bam as soon as they processed. Exactly, and that again, that kind of came out, and he didn't want to admit to it being a problem because he said that everyone would have the same opportunity to to go in and select players. And again, I, it, it was the the one thing that caused me to league uh, leave a league that I'd actually been a part of for several years. But again, that's just again that was a bad commissioner. Yeah. That wasn't a bad league. It wasn't a bad rule idea. First come, first serve is a great idea to have afterwards. And now some leagues, uh, to get around problems like that, is they'll have blind bid waivers on a Wednesday or Thursday, and then they'll wait a day. You'll have like a, a day to kind of stew over the players you picked up and then open first come, first serve the following day at roughly the same time. Right, yeah. Well, all i got to say is people lose sight of the fact of why they play this. I understand people want to make money. Money brings out money brings out the worst in us, but we're here to have fun, at least when it's a league like that, and not specifically DFS, right? So have fun, don't be a jerk. Um, and with that, we've covered a jerk at quarterback, supposedly. We've covered Saquon at running back. We've talked about Michael Thomas, who's gimpy at the wide receiver spot. Let's talk. And who about, has no phone service apparently? Yeah, who's got worse phone service than I have? Okay. My phone service is so bad, I've got to be on Wi-Fi calling. And then because there's spots in your house where your Wi-Fi will drop, what will happen is my cell signal then picks up, which is bad, and I lose the call. So I actually have to keep my phone on Wi-Fi calling and airplane mode when I'm at home so that it doesn't drop off Wi-Fi and go to cellular. Anyway, I digress. Let's talk about a guy who's young, who's not injured, and try to figure out where you draft him. And it's a rookie, and it's a tight end position. It's Kyle Pitts. Well, I know we're probably going to talk a lot more in detail about Kyle Pitts next week. True. When we rank our top 12 tight ends and top 12 quarterbacks going into the season. But I, I really, I, I'm kind of like blown away in redraft formats how overly drafted Kyle Pitts is at this point. Now, we have so much legitimate history uh, in regard to tight end performances in their first year or two. Very, very few ever have succeeded right away, right out, right out of the gun uh, at the tight end position. Now, a lot of people say, well, Kyle Pitts isn't your regular average run-of-the-mill tight end. He's, he's, he's a pseudo uh, X receiver, pseudo slot receiver that can play tight end. They can mix it up. He can come out of the backfield as an H-back. There's all sorts of funky things they can do with him. Let's remember, though, this is, this is an Atlanta offense that had Julio Jones and Kelvin Ridley last season, and they were still kind of lost on what to do uh, in some games. Yeah. So here's what I see with Kyle Pitts. If you want him because you're enamored with his upside, go get him. Get him wherever you want. You're going to have to get him at, like, tight end four or five, right? Yeah. Um, I see him being drafted at his ceiling. I don't like to draft players at their ceiling. Not when you can draft players at about, and it's all about value when it comes to drafts, right? 
Um, you want to yes. draft the right people, but you wanted it value. I'd much rather, you know, if I'm going to pull the trigger that early, I'm going to go get Darren Waller instead. Well, and I, I've even had conversations in the last couple of days about who do I take first, Darren Waller or George Kittle? And I've actually got Waller ranked above yeah. George Kittle this year. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But, uh, I, I mean, to, to see in mock drafts and, and even in the Scott Fishbowl where tight end premium is in play, is in play uh, Kyle Pitts going so much earlier than he should. And, and again, if, this, if you're in a redraft league, you've got to weigh in the fact that even if Atlanta gets super creative with him, his ceiling is still below at least the top five tight ends this year. I would think so. Uh, and, and he's being drafted, like you said, in the same territory as guys like Waller and Kittle, a uh, guy who I really like, TJ Hawkinson, this year. It, and again, you're really you're, you said it right. You're drafting his ceiling. Now, when you're talking about dynasty or empire or format leagues where you're going to have possession of Pitts's contract for several years, different then you can make an argument. Different, different argument altogether. And right now, I mean, I, personally, he's going to be in my top twelve next week, but I'm not drafting him because I'm not paying uh, the capital necessary, which is basically right around round four, round five right now for him. I would I agree a thousand percent to that with that statement. And because we are talking tight ends next week, we should call it a day on our um, where to draft these guys, whatever we want to call that segment, um, mm-hmm. and move right into our top twelve wide receivers for this year for redraft. Now, I know we we did last week. We did the prediction of how many we'd have correct. Yep. How many we'd have in the same spot? I would like to say before we even make that prediction this week. I had a hard time coming up with who my top 12 wide receivers were. And this is why I tend to go running back heavy in drafts and tend to put off wide receivers because after the first four or five, I really like look at like wide receiver number six to wide receiver number 24 as being very interchangeable. So I kind of am with you. Like for me, the top seven, eight were pretty easy. It was that last four where, yeah, you could find four and put them there, and then you could find another four and put there, and you might even be able to find another four and put there. Wide receivers deep. Running backs not. I tend to be a little bit more old school. You know I'm not worried about quarterback. We didn't talk about that. We'll get on to that soapbox later. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of with you. But go ahead, set the over-under. How many are we matching on? How many are we matching on at the same spot? We are going to have, out of 12, 10 matches – and we are going to have two in the same spot. Oh, I have to take. I have to take the under on the ten. Basically, we'd have to run the table for me to get the over. So I'm going to have to take the under. Um, and I actually think the two is a good call. So I'll take, but I'm going to take the over. Okay. We got a nice big middle to work with right there in terms of. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough line you set. Well, go ahead and kick us off. Um, who is your top? We'll just do number one first. Okay. Well, number one had some question marks heading into camp, mainly in the form of who his quarterback would be and if he was going to sit out too or demand a trade of his own. And that's Devontae Adams in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers will be playing for Green Bay this year. 
For a second year in a row, he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder. And for a second year in a row, he only has one truly reliable target, and that's Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams was an absolute touchdown beast last year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't look for anyone but him. Uh, he, he just he doesn't trust Alan Lazard. He doesn't trust uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. I know they drafted the other A Rodgers, and he's actually looked okay in camp. But again, this is going to be the final season for Rodgers. There, him and Adams are probably both going to leave after this season, and I, I see the two of them combining for close to twenty touchdowns. So we match. Um, last year, I had Devontae at six. You had him at seven in our too early top 10 at the end of the season. Um, yeah, once Rodgers is, you know, said he's going back, it's this farewell tour. They're going to scorch the earth is how I Big say time. it. Big um, If anything, why they want to win it, they want to win a Super Bowl. I also see them scorching the earth as a way to say, this is what you could have had long term, bud. Yep. So, okay, so we match. I did not think we would. I actually thought that you would be going Tyreek Hill at number one like you did early late last year. Um, I actually have Hill. I debated him in the second, third, and fourth spot, and I landed on him in, in spot two. We've reached the uh, mark tie for, pot, for two matches in the right spot because I also have Tyreek Hill going number two overall among wide receivers. The Chiefs added a creative new wrinkle to their offense this offseason. It's this really newfangled gimmick. Uh, our, our old friend John Tooby knows a little bit about this. It's something called an offensive line. Yes. Now let's see if this new strategy allows Patrick Mahomes to, you know, and maybe have a little bit more time in the pocket so he can throw the ball to the speedster Tyreek Hill, who doesn't really need any more time in the pocket. But uh, it, it, it's incredible to think of what Hill could do with Patrick Mahomes having time to set his feet in the pocket this year. So that's what it came down to me for me, right? So. Two, three, and four are all guys that I feel easily could have been number two, could have possibly been number one. But Hill has Mahomes. Mahomes has an improved offensive line. They've worked together. We know what they can do. There's a chemistry there. They don't hit that much bad weather. Kansas City isn't always great weather, but it's not that horrible weather there usually. Um, So I landed on Hill at two, um, slightly over a guy who had a fantastic season last year. can run into a little more weather concerns than Hill can, and that's Stefan Diggs I put at number three. Okay. Uh, interestingly enough, I used weather concerns in identifying my number three wide receiver as well. But my number three wide receiver is a different wide receiver, and that is Kelvin Ridley in Atlanta. He's playing in a division that has lots of offense and three other very pathetic defenses. Uh, combine that with the fact that there's very little weather concerns playing in that part of the country for 12 of the games during the season. Uh, they've got eight games, obviously, indoors in Atlanta, and then four other games on the road, in, uh, three other games in the road on their own division there. Uh, also, playing without Julio Jones, it should absolutely catapult Ridley into the top of the charts. Uh, Matt Ryan is going to get to like Kyle Pitts over time. I'm sure he is. But he won't have to concentrate on just Pitts because he's got Calvin Ridley. So Ridley's in my top 12, of course. I do not have him that high, but I love him. Um, You're right. He plays in a dome for a ton of games. But I love Kyle Pitts. I mean, he's going to steal. No, I'm kidding. It's not about Kyle Pitts. (laughs) It's about who is going to play opposite in place of 
Julio Jones being gone and what will that do to Ridley and double teams and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just think that we saw Diggs do it. I think that a second year with um, Josh Allen and I believe Buffalo got better with some additions that they made on offense to help you know mm-hmm. keep, keep Diggs as much in a one-on-one situation as possible. That's why I have him at three. I don't it, dislike Calvin Ridley, though. Not at all. They, they did upgrade at their second wide receiver position. They brought in Emmanuel Sanders, the veteran, uh, to take over the other side. They let John Brown walk. Uh, Brown's in Las Vegas now, I believe. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, a veteran presence, uh, capable. Uh, they are potentially, they've get, got some hesitation over whether or not Cole Beasley is going to play with the COVID vaccination situation. If Beasley plays, I mean, he was a pro bowler last year as a slot receiver. Big secondary option there that would be gone if Buffalo lets, lets him either cuts him or he just decides to retire because of the COVID vaccinations. Uh, but they do have the youngster Gabriel Davis there. Yep. Uh, their tight end position's a year older. I mean, Josh Allen's obviously a year older. He's got that nice fat contract in his back pocket now. So where do you have Mr. Diggs? Diggs, for me, I've got it number five. Yep. Uh, we all knew he was going to break out in the pass-first offense last year there in Buffalo. He averaged only 106 targets per season in his first five seasons. That number jumped all the way to 168 last year. I mean, it shouldn't be any surprise that he finished with more than 400 more yards than his best season in Minnesota. Minnesota obviously run force first. Buffalo obviously passed first. And Diggs and Allen had an immediate connection there. I, I think he's in for a huge season this year, too. But again, I just I like the other three. Plus, my number four pick, a little bit more than Diggs. And that number four pick is DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona. Now, his touchdowns dropped off last season a little bit, but his receptions, his yardage, and his targets all went up in his first season with Kyler Murray. Now, they've had a full offseason together now. They didn't have to deal with the no training camp, no practice last year, uh, this season. So I think Hopkins' touchdown will bump up, and his numbers across the board will stay pretty high. So I've got him number four. So I had DeAndre Hopkins number two in our two early rankings at the end of the season. I have him four. We have our third match. The over is hit. Uh, wow. I did debate him having him up as high as number two again, honestly. Plays in good weather. Kyler's a young quarterback. He can steal as many points and yards and touchdowns, et cetera, as um, Josh Allen can with his legs. At the end of the day, I just I, I like Diggs more and I like Hill more, but there's nothing wrong with getting DeAndre Hopkins as a consolation as your wide receiver four. And the amazing thing about Hopkins is you can get him near the end of the second round in the drafts. Yes, that is amazing. Okay, so we know you're four, we know you're five. You don't know my five. I'm shocked you don't have this guy in your top five because you had him not in your top five last year. Not in your top four. Not in your top three. (laughs) What has happened to make you sour from DK Metcalf as your wide receiver two at the end of last year, to he's not even in your top five. He is my wide receiver five this year. Uh, <laughs> uh, Metcalf is in my top 12. Uh, he has slidden quite a bit for me, though. He's down to, to wide receiver number eight for me. <clears throat> um, it, 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 the big thing with Metcalf is every single week you're playing, is this the week that Seattle decides to throw the ball 25 times to Tyler Lockett? That yeah. really frustrates me. <laughs> and DK Metcalf, he, he's he got the the most physical specimen 
of any wide receiver in the league. I mean, the combination of everything. Uh, he's stronger and bigger than some of these other receivers we've talked about near the top. He's not as fast as Tyree Kill, but he's still nearly as fast despite being taller and, and bulkier than, than Hill. Uh, Metcalf is a Adonis among men. But I, I just get overwhelmed by the fact that there's at least three weeks every single season that he completely craps the bed and, ty- and, and Tyler Lockett posts 20-plus targets with 18 catches for 175 yards and three touchdowns. Well, and how much are they going to run the ball, right? That's the other thing, right? They want to run the ball, they want to run the ball, they want to run the ball. I debated having him five. Um, it wasn't a no-brainer for me. I dropped somebody that I had at number three out of my top five. So I'm sitting there poking you, and I, I kind of did the same thing. I had Keenan Allen number three at the end of last year, and I debated having him five over DK. Um, but I think that the emergence of some players in the Chargers organization on offense, Mike Williams looks good. You'll have Austin Eckler, hopefully for a full season. I, I put Keenan Allen at number six. We have another match. Wow. That's four matches. And that's one of the main reasons why DK slid down my list a little bit is because my number six and my number seven both, more so they climbed up than DK fell. Uh, Keenan Allen has averaged over 100 receptions the last four seasons, despite having the aged corpse of Phillip Rivers throwing him the ball for most of those years. Uh, the addition, obviously, of Justin Herbert and the subtraction of, well, Hunter Henry, among other players, and most of the rest of their wide receiver room, uh, makes Keenan Allen a, a huge target there in the passing offense. It's only going to get better as their, as their years go on. Yeah, you had him number six um, the end of last year, too. So he sat right at six for you. Um, seven, I'll go now because I'm going to put somebody that you've already mentioned. Seven's where I have Calvin Ridley. Easily could have swapped him with DK and Keenan. Could have been five, six, seven. Ridley, Allen, DK, like... There's not much difference in those guys. Uh, I went with the younger, more talented, which is debatable also, I guess, um, guy in DK at five, Allen at six, Ridley at seven. Well, what's comical is I actually sweated back and forth between this player and DK going between seven and eight. I finally settled on DK at eight. Uh, It allowed me to bump up Justin Jefferson to number seven overall for Minnesota. Despite playing on a run-first team last year, and despite having no training camp, and despite barely playing in the first two games of the season, Jefferson still finished with the third-most receiving yards among all wide receivers last year. In two fewer games than most of them. Yeah, that's why I was such a scare when he got hurt the other day, right? Exactly. Shoulder... Sounds like he's, I mean, he's back at practice already, so it's, it's nothing severe, thank God. Uh, Justin Jefferson, uh, he's a stud. He's a young stud. He's, again, he's got all the tools. He's fast. He's strong. He, he can contest the catch, go up for it and stuff. All things to like. Minnesota, obviously, has Adam Thielen to keep defenses honest, so they can't just completely double just, Justin Jefferson. And you can't double both of them because then they'll beat you with Delvin Cook out of the backfield. True. So how and why do I push J.J. down? I'm going to jump down. He's my number nine. And he's in a dome. He's young. He's got a good quarter. Oh, quarterback, knucklehead quarterback. I, what happens if Mr. Put-Me-In-A-Plexiglass-Bubble you know, catches COVID? 
Because he won't. Uh, it's going to happen at some point this year too. Fortunately, uh, uh, Justin Jefferson has the talent to elevate the quarterback around him. We all we oftentimes talk about a quarterback being able to elevate the catching talent around him. Jefferson is one of those few people that's got the skill set to elevate the quarterback throwing him the ball. You hope. I think he's going to do just fine. You hope. But that's the splitting hairs things that pushes somebody from seven to eight and stuff like that. Right? Uh, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I guarantee at some point during this season, the question mark will arise because Kirk Cousins either will get COVID or he will be in contact with someone that gets COVID. Yep. And he will be forced to miss at least one game because of that. And then they'll have to sign Philip Rivers because the whole quarterback room will be off and, and in quarantine or something. I don't know. Um, I, I guess it's better than bringing a, a guy who hadn't like played quarterback since college and signing him off the street to play quarterback like Denver had to do last year. That's true. Um, okay, so just to recap real quick. My top seven, Devontae, Tyreek, Stefan Diggs, Nuke, DK Metcalf, Keenan Allen, Calvin Ridley. My number eight, which you do not know, is Terry McLaurin, and then I have Justin Jefferson. Terry McLaurin, and you hit on this last year late when we talked about this, he solidified himself as a top receiver with who at quarterback? Exactly. He has Ryan Fitzpatrick now. The beard is there. The beard may not be anything special, but you know what? The beard can be a competent quarterback, and he will get McLaurin the ball. That's why I was so remiss that I got sniped on him in that draft. Um, I almost pushed him up. A little higher. I just couldn't do it, though. McLaurin is in my top 12. Uh, I won't say where yet because I'm going to have a few points on when I get to him. Uh, but he did make my top 12 uh, for much of the reasons you're talking about. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has made a living out of making one wide receiver very valuable in his offense. There's always been one wide receiver that's been very, very good with him at quarterback. McLaurin has over 2,000 receiving yards hey, in he, two seasons. Hey, he made Devontae Parker a valuable receiver. Relevant. Relevant, even. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, he also he has, a new, he has a new running mate in Curtis Samuel there. Yep. Uh, if you think about who the wide receiver two was for the Washington football team the last two years, it was one of two guys named Sims. Yeah. Good, good luck guessing which one. Yep. <laughs> So now he's, he's got a legitimate wide receiver two opposite him. Uh, a not young, but still developing. And, and he had a good season last year, tight end in Logan Thomas. So I like to call him low key. And they've got probably the best pair of pass catching running backs in the entire league yep. with J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson. So uh, McLaurin made it onto my top 12. He's at number 12 only because I like the other players just a tad above him. And this, that's where I got into that point where it's like, from like eight on, it's like, yeah, I like this guy, I like this guy, and they're all kind of about the same. Uh, so McLaurin could easily be as high as my number nine. I've got him at number 12, but it, it's not that big of a difference. No, it's not. You had him at eight at the end of last year, so he's dropped a little bit for you, but still top 12 is top 12. Exactly. So who do you have at nine? I've got JJ at nine. Who do you have at nine? At nine, I'm going with Ellen Robinson in Chicago. Now, we repeat the same phrase every year. Imagine what Ellen Robinson could do with a competent quarterback. Well, he still doesn't have one as of yet. But Justin Fields is waiting in the wings, and he potentially could offer that upside. But somehow, despite all of the trash that Robinson has had to deal with over his career for quarterbacks, he has four 150-plus target seasons. 
among his six full seasons. Obviously, he's been in the league seven seasons. He had the one season where he had one catch and then was injured and out for the rest of the year. So I'm not counting that. Among his six full seasons, four seasons with 150-plus targets. It doesn't matter if it's Blaine Gabbert or Gardner Minshew or Mitch Trubisky or whatever bum off the street they've had throwing to him. He's targeted because he can catch the darn ball. He's good at football. So we almost had another match spot for spot. I had A-Rob and JJ that I was debating, who do I put where, right, in that 9 and 10 spot. And the reason I went with J.J. over A-Rob is, one, is quarterback, even if he's a knucklehead. Two, he's indoors versus A-Rob. When does he get fields? And he plays at Soldier, State, Soldier Field. Do they even call it Soldier Field anymore? I'm not sure. But anyway, you know what I mean. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so that's why I pushed him down. But he was really close to being number nine and us having another match. So love Allen Robinson. He's a target. I've gotten him in multiple drafts this year too. Well, at number 10... I'm going with a guy who I I probably would have higher if this was a dynasty or a startup draft, but because of his situation, I've only got him at number 10 and that's AJ Brown in Tennessee. Brown's touchdown production last year was absolutely incredible. I mean, it was, it was right on pace with a guy like Devontae Adams. Obviously it wasn't quite that many, but he was scoring nearly week to week. Uh, In fact, he scored at least once in 10 of his last 13 games. Now, he's obviously a red zone threat. Uh, their current, their previous red zone threat, Jonu Smith, is now in New England, so he doesn't have to worry about that. But the Titans did bring in Julio Jones. Now, we can all say this is a fortunate thing, though, because we all know that Julio Jones never scores touchdowns, so <laughs> Brown's touchdown rate should really be safe. Julio's going to score 15 touchdowns this year. He probably will. <laughs> um. So it's funny. This is how it cascades. You have A.J. Brown at 10. I have him at 11. (laughs) So it's another match, just not in the same spot. Same reasons. It's all right there. And I actually do think that that Julio sees double-digit touchdowns this year, and that does hurt A.J. a little bit. But either way, the the fact that they do have Julio there, that's probably why I've slid Brown down a little bit on my ranks again. He's, He's still a wide receiver one. I've still got him at number 10 overall in wide receiver position. Yep. Uh, I actually, I probably won't have a ton of exposure to him because I'm a little, a little bit salty on the whole Tennessee offense this season. I think that they're going to have a bit of a drop off from previous years. Uh, call me one of the people that isn't a true believer in Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> right. I understand. So who do you have at 11? You're going to round out your top 12 now with your, your 11th person. Yes. At 11, I've got Mike Evans of Tampa Bay. Now, Evans may be the absolutely least sexy wide receiver one on this list, but the fact remains that he has over 1,000 receiving yards in each of his first seven seasons. Oh, yeah, plus he also has the immortal Tom Brady as his quarterback. So that's the first one that we're not going to match on. We're going to match on 11 out of 12. So We hit the over on both. Yeah, we did, but I had the under on the first, so... Um, anyway, so you have Evans at 11, and then you had McLaurin at 12. At 12, I yes. have a second-year guy. I struggled with putting him here, honestly. Um, you have guys like Mike Evans who easily could have talked about, Chris Godwin also, but I worry about what are they going to do to each other, what is Antonio Brown going to do for a second season there to, to help vulture stuff away. Um, 
just there's a bunch of guys that I think you could look at for that final 12 spot. But I'm going with a guy who's getting his quarterback back, hopefully. Um, seems to be ascending, and it's C.D. Lamb. Now, C.D. Lamb, I've got ranked currently at number 17 at wide receiver. So I can totally understand your argument for him. Uh, my biggest I- issue with C.D. Lamb is, I mean, everyone's hyped for Dak's return. Everyone's hyped for Michael Gallup. Everyone's hyped for Amari Cooper. Everyone's hyped for C.D. Lamb. Everyone's hyped for a return of their offensive line. Everyone's hyped for Ezekiel Elliott to be back out there playing like he did a couple of years ago. Uh, that's a lot of mouths to feed there, and Zeke's got a pretty big one. That is true, but look, last year, Lamb was wide receiver 22 with all that crap that Dallas rolled out at quarterback, right? I just, yes. yeah, maybe it's a stretch, but to get to to get to wide receiver 12, that means he, had, he needs to add about 30 points. That's about two points per week, roughly. I just, I, I, and look, I think Amari Cooper's a little undervalued in drafts also. I love him too. Um, he might feel a little safer because you know what, what he's already done and what he can do. Um, I just, yes. I think CD's got a little bit more upside than Amari does. Well, I actually had them both ranked pretty closely. I've got CD, like I said, at 17. I've got Cooper at 15, uh, much for the reason you say he's a little bit safer. But in general, I would have been much more enthused about both of them if Dallas had traded or may still trade Michael Gallup somewhere else. Because, I mean, Gallup could be a top 24 receiver on his own if he was in a better offensive situation where he was more the featured guy. Right. I mean, Deontay Johnson could be in the conversation if you really wanted to look at the upside, if he could learn how to catch the football. Um, you know, don't sleep on Brandon Cooks, who's been productive when people just don't realize, especially if Deshaun plays. Um, well, and, and, and Robbie Cooks, Anderson. I mean, he's been a consistent 1,000-yard guy for most of his career, despite having more travel miles than Anthony Bourdain and more concussions than, Rod, than Reggie Ray. I mean, come on. Brandon Cooks, he's getting 1,000-yard seasons. He's always had a good quarterback, though. This will be his first season with a really questionable quarterback. So That is true. Uh, Robert Woods is a guy that you can look at. Um, Tyler Lockett. Well, Roger, Robert Woods' uh, running mate there, Cooper Cup, and he's a PPR stud that gets a quarterback that loves to throw the ball across the middle of the field. Yep. Um, you know, those guys all could claim that top 12, that, that 12th spot. So. And we didn't even talk about uh, – I mean, I, I mentioned Mike Evans. We didn't even talk about Brady's favorite receiver, Antonio Brown. True. That's why I said that's why I'm not. That's why Evans isn't there for me because I don't know how that transition is going to happen. I mean, Antonio Brown could easily lead the team in catches. Exactly. He looked like he was Brady's favorite target down the stretch last year. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a good exercise. The top of the the top ten is just stacked. But it's also a really deep position. Um, and I think depending on how you attack a draft, you kind of know who's going to be there for you, or at least a, a tier-wise of which couple of guys. And then if you're just not sure between, like we talked about how, okay, so I was between D- DK and, and Allen and Ridley, and I wasn't sure who to put where, so I'm going to put one higher than the other. At the end of the day, if you have them ranked that closely, pick the guy that you want to root for the best, the most. Yeah, and also if you think about when you got a bunch of those guys like that, they're all ranked really, really closely. 
and let's say you happen to be in a draft where you're near one of the swing sides, keep track of what the players yep. who, uh, around you need. Because if the player, uh, if say you're at the pick number two, and you're coming back around on round three there, and uh, you know that the guy at the swing already has taken a wide receiver and a quarterback, he's going to need to take a running back there. So you might be able to not take that wide receiver in round two. You might be able to get whatever you want in round two and still get the wide receiver you want in round three at 302. Yeah, that's, you definitely have to pay attention to stuff like that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, don't fret it. You know what I mean? Like, make your projections, follow our projections, whatever you want to do. I, I, re- I suggest tiers. David's got different outlooks than I do. You have different outlooks than I do, vice versa, all that good stuff. Um, just stay away from quarterback early. That's all. Stay away from quarterback early. You'll be <laughs> fine. We'll talk about that another time. Um, and if you have the desire to hit me up and want to know about it, of course, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Steve Gallo NFL. And if you want something a little more in-depth and discussion-wise, reach out to Harley. He'll talk to you about anything, including Degenerate DFS. Um, and you can find him at Nuclear Harley. Uh, and, of course, make sure you check us out at The Huddle, all the great stuff in the draft. Um, prep stuff that we have so that we can help you win your league this year because that's what it's all about and then of course Harley will do his thing to help you win some DFS money and we'll get that started once the season gets rolling around too Um, and as always get blitz responsibly cheers cheers